Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is February the 20th, and I thought I would spend just a little time looking at Romans chapter number 11. Romans 11 is a oftentimes misunderstood chapter, depending on how you're looking at it. If you're looking at it through the eyes of covenant theology, uh, you're going to interpret it to mean that um, the church has replaced Israel. Well, let's look at it together and see exactly what it does say. I don't claim to be an expert. I'm a student of Scripture just like you are. I, I'm trying my best to study to show myself to prove unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I, in all humility over my, my many years of studying the Bible, teaching the Bible, um, I have questioned assumptions that um, I had been taught uh, from my youth starting with the first Bible Institute that I attended to college, to grad school, post-grad school, um, things that I had learned, things that I assumed were true, and things that I taught. Um, but when a couple years ago, and again, I've mentioned this before, I began to question some of the things I began to, I guess the journey started when I met a brother who is a dear friend, very much Calvinistic, uh, very covenant in his theology. Um, and I sat down and I said, you know, let me look, take a closer look at what he's saying. And so I began to study on my own and I began to question things that I had been taught in regards to dispensational theology. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with sitting down and questioning what you've been taught. Randy White refers to it as questioning assumptions, things that you have just always assumed. And so I began to look at some of you know, the difference between covenant theology and dispensational theology. And to be honest, the more I dug, the more dispensational I became. Uh, matter of fact, I am more dispensational now <laughs> than I was before I started the study. Because I see inconsistencies even in the way dispensationalists interpret the Bible. I see... I mean, if we're going to say we are going to translate or interpret the Bible literally, but then we turn around and we get to a place like Acts 2 and we follow along with those who teach covenant theology and saying this is the birth of the church, or they'll say the birth is always, the church has always been, whatever. They, they place so much emphasis on Acts chapter number 2, and I begin to ask myself, are we 
interpreting Acts 2 literally. And what I came to the um, conclusion was, no, we're not. We are spiritualizing Acts chapter number 2. We are trying to make Acts chapter number 2 say something it doesn't say. Nowhere in Acts chapter number 2 do I see, you know, happy birthday to the body of Christ. I, I don't see the birth of the body of Christ, the church, in Acts chapter number 2. Not if you're going to interpret the Scriptures literally. It's not there. And we've went through that. And you can go back and you can look at my notes for free. You can see them on my website. Or you can go to Amazon. You can get my book, uh, the book of Acts, from a mid-Acts perspective. Uh, And again, it was just my honest attempt to go back and see where the church started. And my conclusion was, it wasn't in Acts chapter number 2, which when you begin to kick the legs out from under the stool, uh, well, if the church wasn't born in Acts chapter number 2, why in the world is so much that happens in the church today founded or derived from those passages? if it's not even applicable to the church. And again, like I mentioned before, I mean, that's why there's so much division in the body of Christ, so many different denominations, because of how they view Acts chapter number 2, which is sad because the body of Christ isn't in Acts chapter number 2. Well, that causes you to... Number one, it caused me to definitely throw out uh, covenant theology, theology. Um, but it also affects everything else in the Bible. If the church didn't start in Acts chapter number 2, when did it start? Um, well, I've come to the conclusion it started with Paul, with his conversion. Uh, not on in Acts chapter number 9, but later when the... The, the, the mystery was revealed to him. So, you know, you start questioning Paul's writings. Okay, if Paul was saved under the kingdom gospel in Acts 9, but later he was um, also saved, if you will, under the grace gospel later, somewhere between 9 and chapter 13, when the mystery was revealed to him, who was he talking to? At any given time, not only do we need to rightly divide the Word of God in totality, but we even have to rightly divide what Paul said, because we have to determine who Paul was talking to when he said it, because in Paul's epistles, in the book of Acts as well, Paul is addressing both Jew and Gentile. Paul is addressing Jews who are still very much under the law who are, have responded to the gospel of the kingdom. But he's also referring to, I believe, not only Gentiles, but Jews who were saved under the gospel of grace. And that's true even in his epistles. So again, when we talk about rightly dividing the word of God, we're talking about not, not dividing truth from error, but dividing truth from truth. 
because there's a truth for the nation of Israel that has nothing to do with the body of Christ. And conversely, there's a truth for the body of Christ that has nothing to do with the nation of Israel. Even when we go into the book of Romans, you know, Paul's great epistle right after the book of Acts, who's Paul talking to? He's talking to both of them. And that's where we have to learn how to rightly divide truth from truth. So let's take a few looks here. I'm going to pull up my notes here on Romans uh, chapter number 11. Eventually, I'm going to go back and start in Romans 1 and start all over again here. But I just want to look at Romans chapter number 11 together for several lessons. It's going to take a while, I am sure. Notice what he says here in Romans chapter number 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Paul here is asking a rhetorical question. And the answer is no. God has not cast away his people. That right there alone should be a huge red flag to those who teach that the church has replaced Israel or that the church has, or Israel has become the church or the church has become Israel. It doesn't matter how you spin it. God is not through with the nation of Israel. Um, in 1 Samuel 12, 22, and the Lord will not forsake his people. His people there is referring to Israel for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. And again, we can't go back into the Old Testament and take verses like that and say, oh, that, that's referring to us. That's not referring to us. My the way I respond now, my even my um, my vocabulary has been forced to change. Someone put up the other day in regard to Jesus telling Nicodemus that you must be born again. Now we use that word today in the church, and we say you got to be born again. Well, Jesus was talking to a Jew about the nation of Israel, his firstborn. He wasn't talking to Gentiles. So the term born again in context has nothing to do with the body of Christ. Now, I don't get all upset or turn people off when I hear them say, you got to be born again. You know, inside there's a little check mark that says he's not rightly dividing. But the word born again is not referring to the body of Christ. So again, it makes you question a lot of things. And I think Romans chapter 11, like I said, is one of the pivot points, if you will, for people who want to teach that the church has replaced Israel. Well, in verse number one, it's clear, has God cast away his people? Nope, he hasn't. And, again, it's a rhetorical question. 
Because God said in the Old Testament, I will not forsake my people for my great name's sake. Why? Because it pleases me. I'm not going to get rid of my people. In Jeremiah 31, 37, thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast out all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. So, you know, if you can measure the heavens and the foundation, or in search out all the foundations of the earth, I'll cast out my people. We can't measure the heavens. We can't search out all the foundations of the earth. Therefore, God will never, ever cast off the seed of Israel. Verse number one. And then verse two. And God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. God's not cast away the nation of Israel. Want ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him? I have reserved to myself a thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So, notice, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Peter defines those God foreknew as the nation of Israel. In 1 Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Who is the elect? The elect is not you. The elect is not the body of Christ. We are not the elect. The elect is the Jew. And again, that's where we get into problems, not rightly dividing the word of God. The elect is not referring to the body of Christ. He says here in 1 Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout. Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to Jews. He's writing to the nation of Israel, comma, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The nation of Israel is the elect, not us. And the Bible says that he foreknew them. He had a foreknowledge of them. So when he says, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew, it's not talking about the body of Christ or you and me. It's talking about the nation of Israel. Um, even Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's talking about the nation of Israel, his brothers. And he says that he foreknew them. He predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, when we get into all of this language about the elect and predestined and foreknown, we are taking words, vocabulary that applies to the nation of Israel 
exclusively. And we're shifting it over to the body of Christ. And when we do that, we end up with the mess that we are in today. We end up with this problem because we're not rightly dividing the word of truth. In Romans 8, 29, he is describing their ultimate end. In other words, what he's going to do with the nation. So with that said, it does not mean that the Gentiles are not also foreknown, but they are not the subject matter. It doesn't mean that God's foreknowledge is not applicable to us, but in the context, it's not talking about us. Paul uses, he goes on and he uses the example of Elijah to make his point. And the point is that God is not through with his people. So, as Elijah, notice, he makes intercession to God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets. Who? The Jews. They have digged down thine altars. Who? The Jews. And I'm the last one, and they're trying to kill me. But what saith the answer of God? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, I'm not done with the nation of Israel. I'm not done with them. Even though it may look like it, I'm not done with them. Notice in verse 5, Even so then, At this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, he's not just jumping to another subject matter here. He's still talking about the nation of Israel. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. In other words, I'm not through with the nation of Israel. And notice it says, even then, at this present time. Now, this present time isn't referring to our time right now. This present time is is mean this present time means this present time during which there was a believing remnant in Israel, even though the rest of them were blinded. When Paul wrote this, he is saying that just as in the days of Elijah there was a believing remnant. So too, in the time that Paul is writing, there is a believing remnant. Those who did accept the message of the Messiah, that did accept the offer of his messianic kingdom. That's what he's saying there, this present time. You see that down in verse number 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election has obtained it, while the rest were blinded. So Israel did not obtain what she sought after, or what he seeketh after, referring back to to Israel, Jacob who was renamed. But the election has obtained it. Who is the election that he's referring to? Israelites who had embraced the kingdom message, the offer of the kingdom, Christ as their Messiah, they had obtained it, but the rest of them were blinded. Again, context, context, context is key 
we are still talking about the nation of Israel. And he will go on to say that he desires to see all of them saved. Look in verse 14. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh. Paul was a Jew. He's saying, I would, I would love to see all of them saved. So understand that the context dictates that the elect is believing Israel. But Paul desires for the rest of them to be saved as well so that they could also become part of the elect. Remember that Israel's salvation was a national salvation. It wasn't enough that a thousand came forward on the day of Pentecost. I mean, or 3,000. That was nothing. The entire nation was to repent, and it didn't. Paul says that it will happen one day, down in verse number 26, he says, and so all of Israel shall be saved. One day, it will happen. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Another name for Israel. So the very word, um, look down in verse 27, based on the promised covenant. In other words, Israel will be saved one day, and it will be based upon the promised covenant. See, for this is my covenant unto them when I take away their sins. So Israel will be saved one day, as promised in the covenant. Now, the, the interesting, the very words, as concerning the gospel, look, and so all of Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them. It's the deal that I made with them. I will turn them away from their sins. Now, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Do you see the transition there? The very words as concerning the gospel in verse 28 makes it something different from the covenant that he's talking about in regard to the nation of Israel. Also, verse number 29 makes it clear that their election is sure and without repentance, which means that God is not going to change his mind in regards to the nation. So notice, let's go back up here. And so all of Israel will be saved one day, as it is written, because there will come out of Zion the Deliverer, referring to the Christ, and he will turn away the ungodliness from Israel or Jacob. Why? Because this is my covenant that I made with them to take away their sins. Understand, the subject matter here is all about Israel. But now in verse 28, but as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Now, again, and we're going to talk about this a little more, 
because they rejected the kingdom gospel, because they became enemies of the kingdom gospel, we were blessed as a result of that. But as touching the election, now the election here is referring to Israel, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So when they rejected their kingdom gospel, it turned out for our good. But God has not cast them away. They are still the elect. And he says, why? Because the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. In other words, even though they may have rejected him at his first advent, God is not going to cast them away. Why? Because God's gifts and callings are without repentance, which means God does not change his mind. So, what can be learned from these verses? The church is not, number one, under the new covenant. The covenants have to do with the nation of Israel, and we are not the elect, as many try to claim. So, we are five verses into this chapter, and it's clearly talking about the nation of Israel. And we'll keep this study going. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.